Now, <clears throat> I got one more thing I need to ask you before we're done here. You want to know why it means? Bingo. Yeah. If we can do this the easy way, we can do it. Gladly. What? Lily Glenn. Two ends. Old lady hired me to find her niece on Tuesday. You just gave up your point. I made a discretionary revelation. No, no, you just gave her up. I asked you one simple question. Ba -ba 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 -ba. You gave me all the information. I thought that's what you wanted. guys talking about movies um well one in particular this week we're going to talk about 2016's the nice guys i am one of your hosts troy and with me as always is mr brad brad i, I usually ask how are you doing tonight but um i i just have to say like uh how you doing tonight i'm doing great man uh <laughs> you're throwing me out there for i thought you were gonna hit me with some sort of deep thing but you no uh, never come on man the whole idea yeah. is just get through the intro so we can get to the good stuff right yeah well congratulations to you and your daughter for tur she turned 18 you did it you uh, raised, yes you raised a child to an adult now you're done apparently right um, that's how it works uh you know i i got uh the email that says i no longer have access to her medical records and um, that was kind of shocking and uh the the only thing i told my daughter on her birthday because we we took her to the Beach for the weekend, you know, just relaxed. And uh, on her birthday when I hugged her, I was like, happy birthday. I thought you would be taller at this age. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good dad. Uh, well, yeah, her her brother kind of uh, outgrew her a little bit, and she's um, still resentful about that. But, yeah, man, eh. having uh, have an adult living in the house now, um, starting her senior year, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, and it's... To I hope we're not disappointing anyone, but it's just me and you tonight, so... No, this will be fun. This this is one that um, is a listener pick from our good friend Alex, and um, we're going to be talking, as I said, about 2016's The Nice Guys, starring, um, I think it was The Rock, uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, is it Will Ferrell? Yeah, um, Will Ferrell. Sam Jackson. Uh, Michael Keaton is in there, too. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, wait. That's, that's the other guys. The <laughs> other guys, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, apparently that was why we got this recommendation. Our good friend Alex said he loves this movie. He recommends it to everybody, and then everybody goes out and watches the other guys, um, which was a hit. Uh, this yes. one, yes, it was. Yeah, this one. Um, well, we we can jump right into it, Brad. Let's. I, I'm yeah. really curious because what's what's fun about this film is it does bring up um, a very specific genre that you and I are big fans of, which is film noir. Yes. Um, and for anybody who used to listen to old um, movie matchup episodes of Pretension, we we did tackle quite a few film noir and noir um, type movies. So this one's interesting because if you look up the nice guys and you try and look for a film genre that it's associated to, everybody pegs it into that neo-noir genre. Um, and it is directed by none other than Shane Black, which we've talked about before when we talked about The Last Action Hero. But Brad, um, you know, this has some two heavyweights as um, stars in the film. And when this thing came out, how did it do? It did not do great, sadly. Uh, $50 million budget, which um, 
this movie is a set piece of 1970s um, Los Angeles. Um, it's very... Um, it kind of brought me back to watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Yeah. Um, um, and it's pulled in about $63 million. Um, again, if you kind of add in maybe 15 to 20 to 25 million for advertising. Um, you know, this movie lost money. Um, sadly, you know, Shane Black has kind of talked about possible sequels and all that stuff. You could pretty much throw that idea away because of the fact that it's not, uh, was not successful. It, uh, critically people loved it. This is a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, pretty much praised all across the board. Some of the criticism of this movie is a little ridiculous. I'm not even going to get into it. Um, kind of, I don't know, like excessive, like people, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like the buffoonery, like people kept saying buffoonery um, with some of the, with specific characters. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not here to, I'm not here to have any of that. <laughs> well, so. I am going to bring that up later. Um, oh, yes. But uh, no, you're right, and and so that total gross, um, that's worldwide. It didn't. Yes, it, it was. did not make its budget back in the U.S. Correct? It did not. Um, it, and I don't know. This is not an international movie, so you know you you need to make probably a good eighty to eighty five percent of your budget back for sure domestically um, to even have a chance of making money, um, making your money back with the international gross. Cause it's a, it's set in a specific time and place in the United States. And I know I was kind of looking around that stuff really doesn't play well internationally. Now I brought up once upon a time in Hollywood, of course that's Tarantino. So it, it kind of, you know, breaks those walls down a little bit, but you know, when, when you kind of make a very American movie, sometimes that can be, um, a big deterrent internationally. So, yeah, and, and, you know, Tarantino is probably a good example of one that bucks the trend because when he puts movies out, they they do well here, they do well internationally. And like you said, this is this is very much a 1970s American film. Um, it is, uh, it's an action film. It's an action comedy. It's neo-noir. It, it tries to, like, um, include everything out there that is Shane Black and Joel Silver as a producer. I... I saw someone say this is the most Shane Blackiest of Shane Black films, and I think I might agree with that. Yeah, uh, because it's got the dialogue. And, oh yeah, yeah. So, well, what, when this came out, it, it was a summer release, right? It was May. Um, it had a, a uh, opening in the Chinese theater in, in Los Angeles, which would have been awesome. Um, but it it came out uh, May of sixteen, so you know, right in the kind of that very beginning of the summer blockbuster extravaganza, if you will. Um, one film that comes out May 6th pretty much dominates the entire summer is Captain America Civil War. As it should. So, yep. Yes. So that makes a billion dollars. Right. Um, you know, the following week, there's really, you know, The Darkness, which is that horror movie, which isn't great. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. I was kind of hearing yeah. that one. Um, Money Monster, which is the George Clooney movie, I believe, Mm -hmm. which mm, I don't, I think we'll pass on that one. Um, you know, 
this movie search did you ever see the movie search party search party it doesn't yeah, sound it's, uh, who who yeah it, not even it's not even remotely. it's just a comedy it's not very good okay. um and then so in the same week that uh nice guys comes out you have the original angry birds movie which gross um and then i saw someone say that neighbors to sorority rising was one of the reasons why this movie did not do well because it was kind of going for the same demographic so you have a hard r comedy going up against a an r-rated kind of buddy cop movie you're kind of dipping your toe in the same audiences there um i know neighbors did way better than the nice guys did um and then you know uh a movie that i thought i liked way more than i did um at the end of may x-men apocalypse um it's fine Oof. that one's it's fine <laughs> well it's fine when you compare it to dark phoenix it's like fine when you compare it to that i'll give so. you that yes uh and then do you remember this movie? Because I don't. Alice Through the Looking Glass, the sequel to the Alice in Wonder, the live-action Alice in Wonderland movie. Yeah, that, I completely forgot that they did a sequel to that. Yeah, but I, I think it was one of those that um, it didn't even come close to what the original did. No, because the original was like one of the first. You know, there's that huge wave of like, oh, we made a billion dollars. Yeah. and I know of, of a live-action. Uh, well, yeah. What was it? The first one that did the live-action trend of sort of Disney cartoons. I, I know. I, the Disney cartoon is based on, you know, original source material, but yeah. Um, I want to say that was, it was the biggest one, uh, for sure. Cause I remember it making a billion dollars. And I was like, who was going to see this movie? Uh, then they did the sequel and the sequel, I think made like 200 million or something crazy. Like it made way less. Um, of course, Johnny deck became very problematic at some point in time. So, you know, it, it, whatever, but, um, a lot of people kind of chalk it up to Neighbors 2 kind of going after the same crowd as The Nice Guys. So Yeah, when, when you list out all of those films in May of 2016, about the only two I can think of that um, I remember seeing in the theater was the Captain America Civil War and The Nice Guys. Um, everything else uh, just seems pretty lackluster in terms of summer movie options. And I, I can totally buy into that. I mean, if if you have Captain America still playing strong, Neighbors 2 comes out, um, and they, they're not, you know, avid moviegoers that maybe, like we are, who try to see as much as possible, you know, in the theaters yeah. and are, are sort of gobbling up things. Um, I, I could see I'd take a bite out of it, but, I mean, when you watch the trailer, I don't know if you went back and watched it. Um, one thing about the... I don't I don't know how you viewed it. I, I have the Blu-ray, so... I put the Blu-ray in, and there's there's really no special features on this thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of a bare bones release. I was a little disappointed yeah. in that because um, I would have loved an audio commentary from you know uh, Crow, um, Shane Black, you know everybody involved in this thing, Gosling, but you know sadly it's not there. Um, Warner Brothers obviously because it didn't do well, didn't put a lot, I think, behind the scenes in terms of special features for this thing. Yeah, I, I found it funny. This movie comes out May of sixteen. The Blu-ray is released by the end of August that summer. Yeah, it was a quick So three turnaround. months. Yeah, so, you know, it's 90 days they're releasing it, which, you know, at that point in time, you're then trying to kind of catch people on, oh, we didn't get to see it in the theater, so let's let's rent it, let's buy it, let's do that. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, in the, it, in the trailer, I think how you said it, if you go back and, and you were seeing this in the movie theaters, this is coming out, you see this trailer... 
um, it is the most Shane Black of Shane Black films. Um, right, right there in the trailer. And I thought it was interesting too how they took different scenes um, and spliced them together as they're part of the same scene, but they have totally different context when you go back and watch the film. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, I, I want to get into the noir stuff first because ultimately I want to figure out is this film a neo noir film? All right, before we do that, let's talk about behind okay. the scenes. Um, because I, okay. I think I think that discussion is going to lead right into our thoughts on the film. Okay. Um, so Shane Black. Uh, we talked about Shane Black as a result of The Last Action Hero. Um, his filmography as a director is very light. So uh, his, his directorial debut for a feature is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And that was um, 2005. Now, what's unique about this one is if you kind of go back and look at a timeline... This stars Robert Downey Jr. Um, it wasn't a box office success, but it really showed people that Shane Black could write and direct. And specifically, I think it put Robert Downey Jr. back on the map. Um, yes, it did. Because everybody raves about his performance in Kiss Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang, and he co-stars with Val Kilmer. Um, and then Robert Downey Jr., a couple years later, 2008, follows up with Iron Man. So I, and you will see, even in The Nice Guys, Robert Downey Jr. has a cameo. Um, but, you know, I think Shane Black brought Robert Downey Jr. back to the forefront for Hollywood. Um, and we wouldn't have Iron Man or some of the other things with, without Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He follows that oh, up. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, he follows that up working with Robert Downey Jr. again in 2015, or 2013 and does Iron Man 3. What, what did you think about it? Iron Man 3 of, of the Iron Man films... What is amazing is I, I find so many people kind of dump on that one. I love it. I think it's great. Um, I think it's way better than two. Um, I still think the one is my favorite, but I think three is a spectacular movie. Um, I I've, I don't know. I, I hear people talk about that all the time, and I feel like it's forgotten. But I think it's a superb film, and I think acting-wise, I think Downey is the best in Iron Man 3. Yes, I I can't figure it out either. Whenever I hear people um, really diss on Iron Man 3, I, I feel like, you know, me and that person didn't watch the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. I wonder, like, is it the kids stuff? Like, you know, is it like, is it the kids stuff or he's out of the suit a lot or I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a Shane Black film. I mean, when we get yeah. to the, when we talk about Shane Black tropes, I mean, Iron Man 3 has all of the things that, is, you know, <laughs> Shane Black's known for. And I think it comes down to, if you're looking for a Marvel film um, that's very similar to Iron Man 1 and 2, that's not what you get in Iron Man 3. If you're looking for a Shane Black film, and and I know he takes some very comedic license with one of the main villains, you know, the um, the Mandalorian. Or not Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, is it the Mandalorian? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Star Wars in my head. Um, Boba Fett does not make ah, a, a, an appearance. Um but uh, the Mandarin, excuse me. Mandarin, yes. yes. So um, he takes... Not, nine, nine rings, 12 rings, Some there's a certain number of rings. I don't yeah. know. I forget the whole... So, uh, and it it follows, you know, uh, it, it incorporates a little bit of the Iron Man comic storyline extremists, I think. Um, and and it's, not, it's not your traditional Marvel film. It, it's a traditional Shane Black film that happens to have Iron Man in it. Yeah, I think those tend to be my favorite ones. Like Winter Soldier is like a political thriller, which is like why it's my favorite one because you're kind of taking a superhero movie and putting it in a different genre. Yeah. So like 
you know, I think those are the most interesting films to me and maybe why I kind of gravitate towards Iron Man 3 is because it's it's like a... It, yes, Iron Man is in it, but he's in like a different... He's not in a superhero movie, Well, it's a Tony, it's a Tony Stark film more than it is an Iron yeah. Man movie. Yeah. So he follows that up with a TV movie called Edge. Never seen it. Um, Never seen 2015. it, 2015. Yeah. 2016, does The Nice Guys. And a little background on this one... Um, this was initially a project that was proposed as a TV series. So they were shopping it around um, in the hopes of kind of grabbing on to, you know, CBS, ABC, NBC, something of that nature. Yeah, like way back in like 2001 or something? Like yeah, it was it, being thrown around for a while. It had been floating around. And, and I know he um, hooked up with uh, Anthony... <laughs> Here we go. Here you go. Bagarazzi. Here we go. <laughs> Actually, I think you're pretty close. Okay, I you know I yeah. feel like if anybody listens to this podcast, they're gonna know a couple things that um, a I do slaughter every last name. B just like I confuse the Mandalorian and the Mandar. At some point, give me a couple minutes and um, <laughs> your brain will figure it'll it out. get there, right? Yeah. Um, and then this this script is um, loosely based on a 1973 pulp novel called Blue Murder, uh, and it's part of a Michael Shea series. Or Shane series, um, and it's written by Robert Terrell, who used the pen name Brett Holiday for those books. So it's not directly um, a copy of the plot and everything else, but it's inspired by, you know, a detective film series. And they couldn't get it to fly as a TV show, so they turned it into a screenplay. Hence, we get the Night Skies. And you know, quite honestly, after that, a couple years later, he comes out with the Predator. Now, what's unique about the Predator is in the original Predator. Shane Black um, is an actor in it, so he he has a pretty prolific acting career as sort of a very um, long list of supporting characters throughout tons of films. And it's interesting that he has a supporting character in the Predator, um, and then comes back and uh, does you know some writing treatment and directs the Predator. What, what did you think of the Predator 2018? <sighs> I wanted to like it way more than I did. Um, it's got some problems. I, I just, the more and more I think about the Predator, I wonder if it's a film that should have been left alone as the perfect. That first film, Predator, is perfect. Oh, it, it's a perfect, ac- perfect action movie. Um, and ever since then, they've kind of been chasing that down. And Predator Two is, you know, the concrete jungle. Uh, in the city, which it's got some things that are okay. Um, I just, I, I, I had not liked anything really past the original predator because i just feel like they're chasing that so much and I'm just not down with it. Yeah. I I think, I think Shane Black's take on the predator. It's funny. The Shane Black. Like Sterling K Brown is like one of my favorite actors and he was okay in it but it's like man you even wasted sterling k brown and yeah yeah Sorry. it's it, I the shane black stuff in predator the predator i should say are the i'm like you i, I want to love it um it, but i kind of like it but the things that i like about it aren't so much the predator stuff it's it's the shane black stuff that comes about from it yeah yeah for sure um and i thought this was interesting so he has three or you know four projects in development and you're going to love this, Brad. I know you're going to be super excited about this. So <laughs> he's he's writing some treatments and trying to put together Doc Savage in a film called Cold Warrior. But he has the rights and he is trying to put together a movie. I saw this. For your favorite, Remo Williams, The Destroyer. Yep. 
Are you excited about that? that? I'm excited about I, that. That's that's a long pause. You know, actually, if you tell me that, it could work. Like under Shane Black, it could totally work because all the things. Yeah. Think about all the all of the um, character development that he gets right in all of his films, and the dialogue, and the verbal sparring that goes on. Between yeah, if you kind of turn it June, into maybe a little bit more of a buddy cop movie. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm not totally not on board, but I'll, you know, I'm not totally sold, but... Oh, it's going to be a hit. We'll both be there, yeah. trust me. Yeah. Um, as a screenwriter, now th- <laughs> this is where Shane Black is really, like, known for. Um, and I think I talked about this on the last Action uh, Hero episode. Um, when I went to University of Evansville, uh, my academic advisor was actually friends... Purple Aces, baby! Yeah, with Shane Black... <laughs> And I got to meet him after he had just finished um, The Last Boy Scout. So that was 1991. But if you go back and look at his um, you know, ability to write pretty amazing screenplays, he's, he's got a pretty good resume. So Lethal Weapon, 1987. Fantastic, right? That, that's yes. the one that put him on the map. That yeah. same year, he and I don't know if you've seen this film, it's really good. Uh, the Monster Squad, 1987. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Awesome film. Now he comes hey. back... Wolfman's got nards. That's right, buddy. Perfect, um, perfect. You know when people talk about like what films to introduce your kids to, like horror movies, the, yeah, Monster, the Monster Squad, Squad does not get enough love for that. Um, then a couple of years later, he gets brought back for Lethal Weapon Two, and I remember him talking about this when when we got to meet him, is that he eventually left uh, that project. It's a story credit only, right? Well, no, he did a lot of the screenplay, but what had happened was, um, he quit after the studio vetoed the decision to kill, um, the Mel Gibson character. So he really, from his original treatment, you know, Mel Gibson's supposed to die, but the obviously Warner brothers like, Nope, we've got (laughs) some more (laughs) in the future here. So he left after that project. So the rest of them for leap weapon three and four, he kind of gets a character, um, credit. Oh, okay. So, but he did do characters and story for Lethal Weapon Two, but just kind of quit. I gotta say, I love Lethal Weapon Two. Uh, I do too. Love it. I think it's fantastic. Now, this this is the one a couple years later, um, and this is really where he got a lot of notice. Was at the time this came out, this was just unheard of. But he does a treatment and screenplay for The Last Boy Scout, right? Bruce Willis movie uh-huh. comes out in '91. He gets paid 1.75 million dollars for that screenplay. Um, and it sets Hollywood upside down because they had that kind of a price tag. Um, and he becomes, at that point in time, the highest-paid screenwriter in Hollywood for The Last Boy Scout. Um, he follows that up, obviously, getting character credit for Lethal Weapon 3 in 92. He gets brought in in 1993 to do The Last Action Hero. Yeah, he does. Um, three years later, he does The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis, Sam Jackson. Uh, Lethal Weapon 498 characters, and then this is where he starts to take over as director. So again, we've talked about this 2005 Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, Edge, Nice Guys. Um, again, he got credited for the Lethal Weapon TV series, but I don't think he actually you know wrote any of the TV scripts. It's just mostly story and characters. Yeah. And then the Predator in 2018. So Shane Black. Um, do we talk about the cast, or do we just get into Shane Blackisms real quick? <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah, Shane Blackisms. That's yeah. So the the thing about Shane Black um, and what you have to 
I, I don't know. There, I, you call them tropes, Shane Blackisms, whatever it is. But all of his films, and, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick this out there as my opinion, um, because I've seen everything he's done except for that TV <laughs> film Edge. Which now that I know about it, I'm gonna go out and look for it. But I, when you talk about Shane Black screenplays, specifically, I think you've got some of the same things um, going on in every one of his screenplays. So primarily, you get two protagonists who initially don't get along and argue for most of the movie. I mean, I think that's in all his movies. Even Iron Man 3. Yeah, yeah. One or both, sometimes, of the protagonists um, is damaged goods. So you get that fallen or cynical hero, um, and they're just broken, right? Uh, Sometimes it's both, but, you know, take Lethal Weapon, for example. You have um, one cop who's living on the edge and the other one who's, you know, about ready to retire and is looking forward to the family life. But... Yeah, he always has a protagonist that that sort of damaged goods, right? Um, Christmas, Christmas comes in to about every one of his films in some way or another. Uh, you always get, I'll call it the mature, sassy kid, the kid that's like wiser than precocious. his age. Yeah, precocious kid. I like yeah. that one. Which, yeah, um, we'll get into it. Women in his films are just as tough and smart as the guys. Uh, and I think Iron Man 3, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, her Pepper Potts character, gets in on the action toward the end. Long Kiss Goodnight's a great example of that. Um, you know, I would say in most of his films, he's always, even even if the female character is in the background of a supporting character, um, it it's still, you know, she's going to hang with the guys. Um, yeah. I think one yeah. of the things Shane Black does very well is even for, you know, making movies that traditionally are pegged as you know, guy action films, there's always strong female characters in them. Um, the Predator, you got Olivia Munn, right? She's running oh, around. Oh, yeah, that's right. Blowing stuff yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, big doses of humor in between the action set pieces. I mean, his scripts are going to be as much about the comedy as it is the action. Um, this one I find interesting. There's always a secondary villain who is the dark twin of one of the protagonists. So think of Lethal Weapon right in the beginning. You got Gary Busey and Mel Gibson lined up against each other, right? Okay, yep. Um, Gina Davis has that uh, one assassin that's after, but he's not the main villain per se. Um, The nice guys, when we talk about that, that's set up that way as well. So all of his films, you know, um, have not just a main villain, uh, but he sets it up in such a way that there's usually a secondary or sub-villain and in most cases, uh, it's going to be the mirror image of one of the protagonists. Okay. Um, every movie's about redemption. Every movie's about redemption. Um, in the third act, somebody's going to you know, go through some redemption story arc. And then also in the third act, and I'm kind of reaching here, but I, I really think everybody ends up getting kidnapped at some point. Yeah, those kidnapping <laughs> is always a big trope in his films. Yeah. Yeah. So is is that a pretty accurate description of like when you sit down and you go, okay, I'm going to go see a Shane Black film. I, I, expect, I expect to, to see these. these. Yeah. Or at least 90% of them. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you think he's the best at those things? Or let me ask you this. If he, if he produced a film that didn't have these tropes in it, would, would you initially be disappointed? No, cause I never want a, producer director to ever feel like they can't go outside of their comfort zone um even like something like 
let's say, Hateful Eight, which Tarantino's my favorite director. I don't love Hateful Eight as much as some people. Um, I think it's by far his weakest film. Um, It's, you know, these kind of long shots and very slow paced. Um, You kind of, you know, put that up against Pulp Fiction, which, you know, very quick and we're going and we're going from this place to this place. Um, You know, I I just never want a director to fit inside a box. But then I I think about that and I'm like, well, if I didn't get the witty dialogue from Che Black, I'd be a little disappointed. And if I didn't get like, you know, the characters, the, the reluctant buddy cop guys that I would be a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want to always know what's to expect to go when I go into a movie. So being surprised would be nice. Um, I've never seen a Shane Black film that doesn't have all those. So it's hard to say like when I left the theater, if I'd be a little disappointed, but I never want to feel like guys are boxed in. So I'm going to say no. That's my answer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I would think of it this way that you, you come out with a film and I think Tarantino is a good example. You come out with a film that is so good and what makes it so good is that trademark script, right? That dialogue. Yeah. And the way Tarantino writes his dialogue, I, I, I would be 100% um, disappointed if somebody told me there's a new Tarantino film and it's uh, it's mostly a visual set piece and there's really very <laughs> little dialogue. I'd be like, well, not interested, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would say the same thing about Shane Black. If they said, here's an action movie um, and there wasn't going to be you know, some type of Shane Black dialogue element to it. The Predator is a good example. I mean, it's not a buddy cop film, but even the soldiers have a great interplay between them. You know, Thomas Jane. Yeah. And, all, all of that stuff, I think, is is where it works. Now, some people might disagree and say, I want more Predator and less of that stuff. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think when you get a Shane Black film, just like when you get a Quentin Tarantino film, um, you are going to walk in ex- and you would have an expectation that that dialogue and that banter and, and sort of verbal sparring is going to have to be there. If, it, yeah, if it's, yeah. not, it's I mean, not, there's, it's not a Shane Black movie. There's like his, some attributes of him that I would rather see than not, uh, precocious kids I can live without. Um, <laughs> but I guess you're right. Like if I went to a museum and someone said, Hey, let's go look at this Jackson Pollock. It was like a portrait. I'd be like, uh, yeah, you're okay, not interested. It's not right? really. And there's, yeah, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. I mean, if you get pigeonholed into something that you do so well, and and not all these tropes, you know, you're you're right. The kids, I don't know. I I I think he handles it well. But you know, I, I always want to see a Shane Black film for how he's going to treat the female characters. I I think he writes them in such a way that it it's refreshing in comparison. You know, when when everybody talks about uh, how great like Atomic Blonde was and the female action film, etc. I, I'm sitting there thinking, well, A, you obviously never saw anything from Hong Kong with Michelle Yeoh. Um, <laughs> well, and, yes. and, you know, B, what what happened to Gina Davis? I mean, she was making some stuff in the mid-90s. Long Kiss Goodnight It's a great example in 96. I mean, she was a fantastic female action hero. And the way Shane Black writes her, I mean, that was a Rennie Harlan film. Um, it, it's it's a great screenplay. The Long Kiss Goodnight, if, if you haven't seen it, it's fun. His whole filmography yeah, is yeah. fun, I think. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's kind of even, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is like, as much as it can be, is a like kind of a fun movie, you know. Um, so you're right, like that should be more one one of more of his kind of attributes is, hey, my films are kind of fun. 
They're, yeah, they're fun. They're good. They got some dark yeah, elements to it, but it's but they're fun. But they're um, fun. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about film noir because when when we when we got into this in the beginning, if you look up the nice guys, this gets categorized into the neo noir um, genre. So in order to understand neo noir, you have to understand what film noir. So <laughs> yes, what what is your definition of film noir as you kind of come to know it? Uh okay so. You got kind of the setting would be 1940s, 1950s. Post-World War Ameri- II. Yeah. Yes. Um, that post-World War II kind of mindset is a big um, proponent, like big component of the of film noir. Um, it's, it's the post-war protagonist, delusion myth, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the protagonist, uh, usually a loner type guy. Um they usually have some sort of uh, mission or quest, um, usually with a kind of a, a damsel in distress. Um, let's see. There's a lot of inner monologue, right, of some sort of monologues and flashbacks. Um, and I really want to say kind of what I – and this is – I stole this one. The lighting is always like – there's like this, always these contrasts of light colors and dark colors to kind of show, you know, good and evil. It's very, uh, we're going to kind of spell things out for you. But yeah, film noir to me, um, it's kind of hard to take it out of that 40s, 50s time frame because to me, a lot of the great noir films are black and white. Um, you know, they, they were made in, in the 40s and the 50s. Um, there have been some great ones post that, but you know, to me, a lot of the the best ones are kind of time stamped into that time period. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, you, when you get those stark lighting effects and use of shadows um, and everything else within these post-war '40s and '50 films, um, I, I think it's hard to replicate that in today's age, unless unless you're going to shoot in black and white, right? For like that true yeah. film noir effect. Now, here's the other thing: is that if you do a lot of research on it. Um, film noir, it, it can be classified as a subgenre of film, but a lot of other critics say it's not a subgenre of film, right? Cause you could have a film noir comedy, film noir qu- crime film, everything else, but really. Yeah. Cause film... I think the term noir was actually invented after a lot of those movies came out. So now they're like trying to put this word on films that were already out and kind of pigeon, like trying to make that word fit into what these movies were. Yeah, it's it's so, French film critics who were who were looking at American yeah. films at this time and, and trying to um, describe them came out with that phrase and and a lot of critics say it's not necessarily a subgenre even though you can go you know on Amazon and everything else type in film noir and you'll see film noir Blu-ray sets and and it's treated yeah. as its yeah. own genre right um, but a lot of people think it's tone or mood in the film and and I think you hit on all the big things it's the anti-hero protagonist right it's the, it's somebody who's morally ambiguous. You don't know if they're good and bad or, or bad right out of the gate. Um, there's always a femme fatale. Uh, again, a, a, a strong female presence who is carrying yeah. um, herself probably uh, with the same weight as the male characters within the script. Um, yeah. You get no-nonsense sort of taught dialogue. Um, <laughs> flashbacks. You talked about flashbacks. There's, there's always, in, in some of the great film noir masterpieces, there's always flashbacks. Yep. Intricate plot. Like every plot has to be super intricate. 
Um, and sometimes they're a little bit hard to follow, but it, it's not something that you can just passively watch. You have to pay attention to what's going on, especially... Yeah, because there's a lot of B and C plots coming into play. Yes. A lot of maybe this guy is working with this guy, but he's really working with this guy sort of deal. And you don't um, you don't want to find yourself at the end of a film noir and not know what's going on um, in terms yeah. of the big reveal. And you will if you're not paying attention, right? Um, yeah. There's always somewhat of an underlying existential philosophy. So they're very weighty films, and it sort of talks about, you know... Why am I here? <laughs> there's there's some big questions that are are being asked. Um, there is they're they're dark films, not just in the sense of maybe the use of shadows and everything else, but in also uh, their endings and their character outlook. Because you get something that usually exemplifies hopelessness, um, corruption. There's a very fatalistic outlook to them. Um, and again, it it's all a, a result of the post-war disillusionment. And um, what is referred to as post-war realism, right? The, the fighting's yeah. done. It's it's not escaping from the war with some of the comedies and stuff that they were doing in the 30s. But it's, okay, we're into this rebuilding architecture. Um, and so the films that are coming out of Hollywood at this time um, were, were trying to reflect sort of the mood that was going on in the U.S. So with that, before we even talk about neo-noir, so if we're talking about classic film noir movies and, and you and I have reviewed some of these in the past. Yes. What are your favorites or do you have a favorite? I have my, my favorite is the Maltese Falcon. Um, hands down. Um, I know a lot of people kind of lean towards double indemnity, but the Maltese Falcon, um, is my favorite. I also like, uh, Stanley Kubrick did one when he was, I believe 27, the killing. Um, mm -hmm. I've always had a special place in my heart because of, I grew up around, uh, horse racing. Um, and, uh, that one takes place at a, at a, at a racetrack. I believe they're trying to steal, I believe it's a million dollars, but I think it might be way less than that. Um, but yeah, those are my big three. Um, you know, and then if we, those are the classic ones I always go to. Um, now the big one for me that I think is the perfect film is Blade Runner, which again, we're kind of getting more into neo-noir, but, yep. um, I would say for the traditional ones, um, Devil Indemnity is my favorite. Like, to me, that's the best one for film noir. Represents everything that I think is film noir. Yes. It's fantastic. Um, and for anybody who has never watched that or dipping their toes into it, that's where you start. Yeah, for sure. That, that is what it has. And then probably the other two, um, I love Carol Reed's The um, the Third Man with Orson Welles. Okay, yeah. Um, that is... Now, between Double Indemnity and The Third Man, it's usually a toss-up which one I'm going to revisit. But if I revisit one, I usually re revisit the other. Those are the top two. Okay. Um, and, you know, Wells did Lady from Shanghai, I think, which has... It, it's a good film, uh, Touch of Evil. He's he's dabbled into this genre a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then outside of those two, so those what I would call sort of the A-list, and, and I think those are my two favorites. And like I said, if I, if I watch one, I'll watch the other. I love The Third Man and I love Double Indemnity. The two that I like and and will watch just as frequently is uh, DOA with Edmund O'Brien. Now, they did a remake, I think, later on with um, Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. I think she was in it. Yeah. But DOA obviously stands for Dead on Arrival. It, it's a fantastic film noir. But the, the whole premise of that is a guy's been poisoned and um, he's going to die. So he has X amount of hours to find out who killed him. Okay. Right? So it and that that's plot line has been told many many times in hollywood but the way they do it um for 
uh, true film noir, it, it's it's great. It it's easily accessible in a lot of streaming services too. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. And then the other one, which is where I describe. So I had always known of Veronica Lake through Sullivan's Travels, um, which is sort of a comedy, Preston Sturges comedy. Okay. Um, and it wasn't till about maybe five years ago that I discovered her and Adam Ladd in This Gun for Hire which is a great film noir. Now that you yes. want to talk about convoluted plot. Yes. That thing is all over the place. Um, but I, again, it's a fun film noir. It's very dark. <laughs> it's, it, it's a downer. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if I were kind of to pick my a team and B team, the a team is double indemnity and third man. And the B team is always this gun for iron DOA. Man, no love for the Maltese Falcon. No, no, no. <laughs> They're, they're good. Space. Like I said, I I, I, know, I, I, I we I think you and I have talked about film noir just yeah. as much as any other, um, you know, because I think genre. Yeah, I I don't know what it is about noir that I that kind of pulls me into it. I know, I think it's like there's always, I don't know. It's hard to describe. I I, I think I I always go for it because there's usually like this. I think it's more just the plot. Like there's always like this murder or there's um some sort of kidnapping or you know kind of a gun for hire sort of thing and i think i'm just attracted to that stuff um well it's the the ambiguous character right it's it's not black it's not totally black and white well they are black and white but but, yeah i'm talking about like good evil You, you get a you get i think in film noir you have the chance to really get some deep nuanced characters who um, you you don't know if they're going to make the right choice or not, or yeah. if there's going to be redemption. You can yeah. watch a film noir and there's no redemption at the end of it. Yeah, and I think it's the the stylization of the film as well. Like when you see a noir film, you just kind of know. And I think it's um, one of those things where the music cues, the dialogue, and like you're saying, it's very end. Like your protagonist still might be kind of unchanged through all of this um so yeah, yeah you, you may not like him yeah at all yeah. By, the, by the time the film's over now now neo-noir it's it's the revival of the film noir genre but if you go back and read about neo-noir neo-noir can even go back as as early as 60s right um because a good example i i keep seeing of neo-noir is the hustler with uh paul newman from 1961 jackie gleason fantastic movie yeah yeah um and i can see that it it really would fall right in line with what would be considered film noir but um you you again get sort of the blurring the lines between good and evil which is what makes that genre so fascinating you get all the same motifs and and the same themes and everything that are in film noir but what i what i thought was interesting is i went back and looked at a lot of movies that they considered some of them are no-brainers now you you pulled up blade runner that's 82 right uh yes that reeks of film noir all through it. I mean, yeah. it's a detective story. I mean, even even its use of shadows and colors and everything else. It, rain, it's really a lot of rain. <laughs> oh yeah, um, that trench coat. Other... <laughs> oh yeah, trench coat. Um, yeah. T- uh, so we talked about the hustler. Shaft, nineteen seventy one, is considered neo noir. Oh yeah, okay. Um, to live and die in L A. eighty five. Yes. Uh, Manhunter, eighty six. Okay. So Michael Mann. Um, Blue Velvet, David Lynch, nineteen eighty six. I, mm. It's been a while since I've seen Blue Velvet, but now I really want to go back and watch now. Yeah. Uh, how about Black Rain from 1989 with Michael Douglas? Yeah. Okay. Neo-noir. Um, Basic Instinct made the list. 
Sharon Stone, Michael Douglas. Yeah, because, yeah, okay. Femme Fatale, yeah. all my thing. Yeah. Um, Reservoir Dogs, 92. You buy that? Who's the Femme Fatale in that film? I don't think there is one. But yeah. I, again, I think it it's being classified as neo-noir because of its unbalanced framing. Um, the, all of the protagonists. <laughs> yeah, problematic. Problematic to say the, at best. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a lot of that fatalistic, um, downer, uh, hopelessness ending through it. So I can see it. Yeah. Face Off in 1997 made the list with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. <laughs> I'll be honest. That one, I think, is a little bit of a stretch. No. L.A. Confidential in 97. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. Dark City. So this is science fiction. Again, yeah. We, like Blade and we, we, uh, we saw that we did that film for a movie matchup. Um, what do we do that against? I don't remember, but yeah, it's been a while. Yep. I think that was the last time I saw Dark City, but yeah, it's it's essentially neo noir. That's like quintessential neo noir to me is Dark City. Oh, I agree. I, I think I think if you were going to point out something and say what's a great representation of the color schemes and also the motifs and everything else, Dark City is definitely one to go for. Yeah. Um, the Matrix, nineteen ninety nine. What about that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, Trinity, okay, I'm trying to, what's you the... Know, you, you think about the ending of The Matrix, Yeah, it's kind of a downer. Yeah, but then it it all kind of, with the sequel and all that stuff, it kind yeah, of... Yeah, no, 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 is, I get yeah. it. You, you take out the sequel, though, and yeah. let's say that the sequels never existed. Um, They go through all of that, and they're free, right? But you still get into this little bit of a downer ending, I think. Yeah. It can be yeah. viewed that way. Yeah. Um, the Dark Knight, 2008. I, I saw film. that one, and I think that is very, uh, that's purposely neo-noir. You can see Nolan kind of, you know, you have this um, big baddie sort of deal, too, with the Joker. Um, right. You know, and, and crime and, like, uh, kind of the mob mentality sort of deal is also like a big factor in noir films as well as kind of their, the, the evil force in a lot of those. So yeah. Okay. I, I buy okay. that. Yeah. And, and another Nolan film that is inception that gets classified underneath that, uh, shutter Island with yes. uh, Leo 2010. Which, I watched that just recently. That movie is so good. It is like Scorsese pulled this movie out of no, like, Again, when I first saw it, I hated Shutter Island because we were talking earlier. Really? Yeah. Because it was a Scorsese film that I'm going into, and he does not play into kind of his Scorsese-isms. He um, doesn't. It, and it feels it, like a... Yeah. It's a whole different movie, and it threw me off, and I literally was like, I can't believe I don't like this movie. I should like it. I went back the next day and saw it, and I was like, oh, wait, I'm an idiot. This movie's... Almost perfect. So, oh, you can't forget Sin City either. By the way, that's like yes, that's know. in there. This one I thought was I don't know if you saw this from 2018 Widows. I did not. You need to watch that one. Okay, it's so good. So I got to ask you this: since we talked about our favorite um, film noir, do you, I think I know your answer on this one. Which favorite neo noir? Oh, it's Blade Runner. Like, is it Blade Runner? Yes, yes. Um, and you know, and I also like L.A. Confidential quite a bit as well. Um, and then one you didn't mention. Uh, the man who wasn't there, the Coen Brothers film. Oh yeah, I mean they have really a lot good. of they have a lot of neo noir films, and then Shutter Island. Um, like I said, I think uh, Shutter Island is, boy, it that movie is is something else. And 
you know, I, I know it gets a bad rap now, but when Sin City came out, like, I thought it was great, and I still think it's pretty good. So I'll I'll, I'll say those. Yeah, I I so if if I were thinking about actual, when I look at that checklist of everything that is film noir, and I and I were to say what is my favorite neo noir, and it's the film that's trying to kind of replicate the mood and all those bullet points, right? Dark City? <laughs> no, it's it's actually a film from 92 starring Bill Paxton and, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and it's called One False Move. One False Move, okay. Yes. So it's, it's ba- you, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. I'm just going to tell you, you have to go check it out. I actually saw it in a, in a theater. I saw it as a double bill. Get this double bill. It was in downtown Cincinnati, Catch um, One False Move, never heard anything about it, and it just blew me away, okay? So think of it as a film noir version of High Noon. So Bill Paxton plays a sheriff. Okay. There are these three murderers that are on their way, and Bill Paxton is kind of standing in between them and their getaway. And uh, he has a history with um, one of them uh, just by default. And it is a fantastic film, but you got to watch it. But I, I ended up seeing that, and then right after it, um, uh, I think it's Jacques Tracteau's uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I can't remember the year, but the old black and white French. Um, oh. They were showing that as a double bill in downtown Cincinnati, some art house. <laughs> it was like, okay. that's a weird thing to put together, yeah. but i got to tell you, it's one of the best afternoons I had in a, in a movie theater. Okay. Never yeah. seen any of them, but you, you have to check out One False Move. And if you don't, then I'm going to bring it up as we're going to pick it one week. You know, it's so good. Back at our old show, you had this thing that you used to like not like French movies or the French, and <laughs> I think you might have been playing a character, Troy. No, I I will get into that. Generally, I'm not a huge fan of French cinema. What about uh, uh, Les Samurai? I mean, we we talk about a lot of American films noir, but is it Les Samurai a like noir film? Alain Dion, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would. And, and again, I think the French saw that uh, type of film from the 40s and 50s and they tried to replicate it, yeah. you know, yeah. in a lot of films. I mean, Army of Shadows, which we talked about, which still not a big fan of. And I know you like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, Rafifi and stuff like that, I think, have all the film war motifs in it. Uh, but Americans did it better. Sorry. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, we've been spending like almost an hour just talking about <laughs> so, Shane Blackfoot. We have not even gotten into <laughs> the nice guys. So we haven't talked. I haven't said anything <laughs> about Ryan Gosling this whole time, <laughs> which is weird because I know you're like the biggest Ryan Gosling fanboy out there. I, mean, I wouldn't say that. Oh, okay. Oh, you are. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about the nice guys. So it is classified as a neo noir. You know, written and directed by Shane Black and some other guy. I'm not going to pronounce his last name. Um, Russell Crowe, Jackson Healy, Ryan Gosling, Holland March, Angry Rice is Holly March. Um, you got a bunch of other people that I think aren't necessarily known in the film industry, but you do get one and it's a reunion of sorts between Russell Crowe, um, and Kim Basinger. She's in this film and the last time they started together was in LA Confidential. You left out another one that I absolutely love. Oh, one, Keith David? One Mr. Keith David. Damn it. Yes, that's right. He And I love, uh, if you look at the credits, he plays older guy. Yeah. And Bo Knapp plays Blueface. Blueface. He's Blueface uh, because he got money dyed blow up in his face. Yeah. Matt Bomer, John Boy. So it, it's interesting. I mean, they, they Jackson Ely, Holland March, Holly March, um, and Amelia are the main characters. And everything outside of that is just labels to characters, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
um, just sort of your stereotype. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, let me ask you this. Okay. Is, is the nice guys neo-noir? <sighs> Cause we, we talked about all those things. It, it hits, it has those elements. It doesn't right? feel, it, it doesn't feel like it to me. It just, there's just something I can see why you would, try to label it i just don't it just doesn't feel like noir to me it just i don't know what it is it just doesn't feel right i don't know it, am i yeah, wrong I'm, no i'm with you this yeah. is not neo-noir i don't I, so here's the thing it it is an abbott and costello movie <laughs> i mean it's if abbott and costello were doing a film today with a lot of violence and um they played detectives i think you would get the nice guys now is I, Lethal Weapon like a like? This is well, more. It is, but and I'm I'm not saying. So when I reference Abbott and Costello, let me let me preface that by saying Abbott and Costello are one of the, in my opinion, funniest comedic duos in all of film history. Oh if, yeah. If, if you go back and look at something like um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, I think it is near perfect version of comedy and horror um, and horror for that time period. Right. Yes. But I think what Shane black did and what makes this script so smart is he takes every film noir trope and takes every Shane Blackism and brings it together. And the thing that a smart guy once said, it's a hybridization hybridization. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But what he does is he elevates that to bring in some extremely funny moments and makes it for for really all intent and purpose an Abbott and Costello movie. That that's when I watch this film, I am smiling from start to finish the same way I am when I'm watching Abbott and Costello and and Buck Privates or, you know, um Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Because I, I think the chemistry is that good and the script is that good. I agree. Um just a little behind the scenes. Like I watched this movie earlier this week and like I had some free time last night and today and I just kind of threw it back on and started watching it again just because like I was like man this movie is just it's fun and it's funny I forgot how funny this movie was um and how you know like when you watch a movie and it's just like hey we're gonna have these two actors and they're just gonna act and be amazing in it and it's just gonna carry (laughs) the movie like yeah that's what this is it's like you forget Russell Crowe at one point in time was probably the best actor on the planet. Like he did uh gladiator, then like master and commander. Um, what was that other beautiful mind, beautiful mind. Like, yep. At one point in time, you know, he's huge. And then Gosling is spectacular. Um, and they're playing off of each other and it is kind of infectious of how kind of fun it is. Um, I don't know if you, I know you, did you say that you, kind of watched it more than once i did it was one of those things where i watched it and um again it's it's a film that uh in the house hey i'm going downstairs and watch this in our in our theater and and tabitha's like "Ooh, i want to see that and cameron's like yep i want to see that one too yeah angel is working being all adult like (laughs) um and we put it in and everybody is just enjoying it um now i will I will say, if if I were to take a step back, and here's a question I had, because as soon as it was over with, the the thing that my wife and I always talk about is as soon as we watch that one, we're like, man, we, we really want to go back and watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep. 
Um, and when I think about this, I, I guess my reaction is, well, is the nice guys just a big budget version of kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Um, and then is, is like a kiss, kiss, bang, bang, just a, a low budget version of the last boy scout. And then I start <laughs> thinking, well, is the last boy scout just lethal weapon for the nineties? And when I think about Shane Black and I think about these films... Is he making the same to, movie over and over? Yeah, I'm like, is <laughs> is is he a one-trick pony then? I mean, I, I love Shane Black scripts and I, I know what he's getting, but it, it's kind of like my love for Jackie Chan. It's you, When you go watch a Jackie Chan film, you know what you're getting. Yeah. But then the question comes is that even Jackie Chan, if you look at police story and crime story they have the same level of just amazing action and stunt work, but they are two very different variations of the burnt out cop story. Right. Yeah. And they really push the envelope in storytelling and also visuals. However, you know, can the same be said for Shane black and all these, you know, screenplays and things that he's directed. And when I look back at that and I would say, okay, I watched the night guys and I love it, but, now did I just watch variations of all the other films and do I really have to go back and watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Like is that is this is this the pinnacle for Shane Black and everything that comes out from here really isn't gonna be as good? Um because you take somebody like Tarantino or Jackie Chan or they will do some of the same things, but they always find a way to come with a different perspective or make it better or even challenge the audience in some respect. And whereas you yeah, said, Glorious Bastards is like what seventy five percent not in English or something yeah, like that. It's absolutely crazy. yeah. Um, but you know, you you mentioned the buffoonery of this film. That's what I love about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anybody were to criticize it, I'm like, well, you're missing the point because I think Shane Black that whole scene where um, Ryan Gosling falls over the balcony and then he's he's sitting next to the tree trying to light a cigarette and um, the producer which is actually, that's Robert uh, Downey Jr.'s cameo. Yeah, Sid. um, Non-speaking role, right? So (laughs) Ryan Gosling's reaction to it, that whole, (laughs) you know, he can't get words out. That is pure um, Abbott and Costello, right? Uh, And and that's what I love about it. Um, But outside of adding the comedic element and, and maybe amping up his ability to write that dialogue and Ryan Gosling... Um, his performance in in the Costello role, and <laughs> and I really I really do think um, Russell Crowe is just fantastic as the heavy in this. But I mean, has it is that all we're ever going to get from Shane Black? Is that a, I mean, it might be, but it, isn't that okay? Did you yeah. love? Do you like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Do you like Iron Man Three? Do you like uh, the Nice Guys? Like again, I don't think. I don't know. It's like, so when bands put out like, oh, that album sounds like the exact last album they put out and the album before that. And I'm like, well, they have a sound and that's kind of their sound. And it's always going to have that sound um, until they do something extremely different. And then people are like, well, why didn't you do it like the old album? You know, it's like sometimes people can't win. Um, But I get what you're saying. I I, I, I get that. But I, I I look at it this way. The next Shane Black movie that comes out. And if I see the trailer and if I go, oh, that's like the the re-reboot of one of his other films that he's done. And I, I can put it in that same lineage. 
I don't know if I'd run out and see it. I, I would look at that and go, "Really? I, I'm I'm just I'm being honest here. It is that look the the great thing about what's happening with Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and all these is they are putting some budgets together, and every once in a while you get a film that is a little off the beaten path from a director, right? Um, and it kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit. Um, and if somebody takes what they're good at and grows from it and gives us something a little bit more interesting, I'm all for it. But if that person puts the same thing out over and over again and doesn't try anything different, and I would say Jackie Chan has definitely fallen (laughs) into that pattern, um, except for something like the foreigner that came out recently. It was like, Oh, there you go. You, you went, a, you know, a little bit different, played a different role than what you're used to, and you delivered um, a different take on even your signature action uh, to a certain degree. And it, w- it was entertaining and I was energized again. But, you know, that's the thing I would say with Shane Black is if I saw the trailer and if I was like, oh, it's another nice guy's bang, bang, lethal, Boy Scout, whatever... I would go, yeah, I'm kind of excited to see it, but it, it wouldn't make my top priority. And it would be one of those where I'm like, yeah, I, hey, if we were back in the theaters and I saw that versus something that looked a little bit more challenging, I'd, I'd go for the other thing. Okay. I get, yeah, No, I mean, I'm not criticizing that take. Um, I, I'm not going to defend guys who make kind of the same movie over and over. I just feel like if it's good, I don't really care um, – Especially if you were to cast like two people, like if you tell me Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are going to play in a movie together, I have to kind of take a step back and say like, okay, that's a choice. Is that something that's going to work? Um, and it does. And if he could, you know, if he did something like that again, where he had two guys and you're like, boy, those guys are different. Um, Cause I guess at the end of the day, my ticket is for seeing Gosling and, and Crow kind of go tit for tat sort of deal. Um, everything else is just kind of periphery. So if he could do that again, then I, I would be down for it. So then let me ask you this. I mean, is in that scenario, is it more the director? and the, Now, in this case, it's, it's probably a, a, a goofy argument to make because in this film, the nice guys are so good is they made the perfect choice of putting, you know, Crow and Gosling together. Because yeah. that, that's where this movie is anchored. Um, but the, I believe, the, wasn't this the, those guys being cast, wasn't that kind of the main reason why this ended up actually getting made? Um, yeah, I thought absolutely. I saw and, that, yeah. Yeah, and Russell Crowe has said that there's two films that he wished he could, you know, revisit those characters, and it's this and L.A. Confidential. I mean, from from Russell Crowe's perspective, this he loves this character. Um, and And I can't... What I love about this film is those two own it so well. I can't imagine anybody else doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to, yeah. If they're like, well, this guy's going to play the Russell Crowe character. Like, ah, I don't know. No, I can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, right. but it, but it's not it's not the plot. Um, it's not the action. Yeah, because the, the MacGuffin is a porn, is a, you know, it's a porn movie. Well, it's it's a porn. They make a porn with a plot. Yeah, I think is the line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and and again, from I I think about you know the third act of this versus like the third act of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think I think how uh, the action in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is handled towards the end versus the ending of this is more exciting. Um, and you know, Last Boy Scout. Take take that one. I think that. <sighs> 
how do I say this? Shane 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 Black writes very good action sequences. Um, and I think it's always dependent on the competency of the director to bring it to life. Um, but the thing that if you do it right, that will always be a plus in his films is if you get the right casting down to read his dialogue and just embody those characters. If you get that wrong, then I don't think it works. And, and I, I, if somebody came back and said, you know why the predator wasn't as good outside of the crappy ending, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the the story and some of the other stuff is that somebody could come back and say, well, they, they didn't do the right casting and interplay to some of those characters. And, and if somebody criticized Olivia Munn for just not gelling well with, with the uh, special forces guys or, you know, the convicts or something, I would go, yeah, I kind of see that. I mean, it's, it's not strain. It's not, you know, a plus strong Shane black material in the predator, the way the nice guys is, but Again, it's Russell Crowe and it's um, Ryan Gosling that elevate everything in this film. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I, I kind of like movies that rely on actors being actors and just kind of taking it to a whole other level. Um, I think I think Gosling is fantastic in this movie. Um, he's like the comedic... It's just... His comedic timing is really good. Like I know Brett and I mentioned crazy stupid love yes like he's really funny in that movie too and i think he's like a funny guy with great comedic timing he's got this yell like this little scream in this movie which (laughs) every time it happens like it always gets me and i've seen uh the nice guys like twice in the past week um when he is having to shoot at at the end (laughs) with the car that's turning around like on the (laughs) and he like points the gun the wrong way i don't know what it is but it's just so funny um, and there's just a lot of his like dialogue where he kind of lets it sit for a second and then like says the line and it's just great timing. And, you know, that's not easy to do. And his I just, physical comedy is fantastic. That whole, um, in the, when Russell Crowe visits him again, right. And is looking for him. And, um, you know, Holland March is taking his daughter to the roller rink and he's in the, he's in that stall. And all of a sudden he's trying to point his gun, get his pants up yeah. and Ryan Gosling, his comedic physical timing is just fantastic in this film. Yeah. And and they work so well together. Um, the, and don't get me wrong. I don't want to make my comments feel like, Hey, is Shane Black a, a, a one trick pony? Every, I think yeah, you said every, it. I think you said it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the question is out there. Like I would say it this way is that everything that he's done up to this point, I think the nice guys is the pinnacle of that career. Those are the drafts of the, of the, of the script. And this is the final I, draft. It well, that's final draft. I, I think what he's done is he's taken all of the things that he has capitalized on and has made him sort of a famous screenwriter and director. He brings that all to the table, but The Nice Guys is almost a parody of that to a certain degree. It's definitely a parody of film noir films. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. Um, but the characters and what Helium March kind of bring to the table, it's Riggs and Murtaugh. It's, it's everything there. And um, I, I think, you know, <laughs> this... This is probably blasphemy, but I, I would say, you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover have a hard time catching up with Gosling and Crow in some scenes. I think the interplay that made Lethal Weapon so good and, and so famous is, you know, being shown off here. Um, and what I like about it is in Lethal Weapon, 
if Healy and March were, were in that, when something goes down, they would run right into the action, right? Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes in, in this is when um, they go to the airport hotel, right? They discover somebody is murdering all the armed guards. <laughs> <laughs> they, they take the elevator up there. They, they poke their heads out. They see some guy bleeding out, et cetera. And then they decide to come back in to the hotel and hit the down button. Yeah, they're just, he's like, and they're hit trying the road fast. Yeah. yeah, and and Gosling is kind of whimpering a little bit, and they get into that car, and he's like, you know, she's dead. We got to get out of here. I I love that that is sort of the antithesis of what would happen in a Lethal Weapon film. Yeah, like I think Shane Black is having a lot of fun in this from a writer and director standpoint, saying, hey, I made this fantastic career of doing the buddy cop thing and you know the the action films, etc. And he is creating a comedy that has action in it and he's he's really deconstructing that type of character poking fun of it um and having a great time making this film i i guarantee it had to be a lot of fun doing it um but what comes after this i mean don't get me wrong i'm excited about the destroyer if he brings that to the screen <laughs> i'm i'm there i know you are but i think his next film is what would make me think a one trick pony. Like, I don't think this film does that. I think he does exactly what Tarantino and everybody else does and says, Hey, I've added enough flavor and enough variety to everything he's done. And now he takes the nice guys and he takes his entire career, all of the tropes, the Shane Blackisms, and everything else. Plus film noir has a lot of fun with them, turns them on the head and creates two fantastic characters that you just, like you said, you'll watch it and then you'll put it on again and again. And I think the best compliment is it makes you want to go back and watch his other filmography um, because it's different. Now, what happens after here? I don't know. <laughs> I Man. I I don't know, Troy. You kind of got me befuddled a little bit. Why? No, What's I so mean, befuddling? well, I didn't think that, you know, when, when we were talking about this and, and like going back and, thinking about kiss kiss bang bang and even going back to to lethal weapon you're thinking oh wait a minute there is a very strong through line through all of his films um and again i don't think that's and you're not saying this either but i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have no a not certain at all. style no. um but again y- you are right that after a while, you do want to see someone maybe take some chances and, and uh, you know, swing for the fences. Not that he's not swinging for the fences, but you know what I'm saying. Like, kind of try to step oh, out I, of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think you're saying exactly what I'm saying is that I, I actually think he swung for the fences on this from a comedy standpoint and deconstructed all of the the machoism that's in yeah. all the other Shane Black films and everything else. This and, is by far his funniest movie. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. And, and that's what is so refreshing about this is, you know, but I I don't, the things I love about Shane Black, I don't want to see it go away from a style perspective, but I want to see him push the boundary. Like, I watch The Nice Guys and I'm like, dude, if you can do that and and you delivered that type of film um, and really highlighted the comedy, I can't wait to see what you do next time. But you better not go back and make Lethal Weapon 5 or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 2. Like, if if I know you can do this level of scripting and directing and get that kind of performance out of those two actors, 
then I'm really I am so hyped about what he could do for the destroyer. <laughs> I know you because, are. I know. Because you like are. you said, it it could be another knockoff of the Remo Williams film we got in the 80s. It could be another buddy action film. Yeah. Or it could be something totally different that he brings to the table and it still has his styles and his his Shane, you know, black tropes in there, but he's going to push the boundary for that particular genre. So, I wanted to ask you this. Why do you think this movie didn't do well? Because it's not like it didn't review well. Um, it comes out early May. Is it simply, hey, we're we're still in this Iron Man or not Iron Man, this Captain America Civil War deal? And like to me, this feels like because Shane Black films really don't do great outside of. I mean, I know Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon Two are huge. But, you know, you look at The Predator, it wasn't... I thought The Last Boy Scout did really well. Yeah, okay. But I'm talking about anything from, like, 2000 on. So, you know, Kiss well, Kiss Bang... I think if you watch the trailer, I so I I think your average moviegoer would look at the trailer back in a few years ago when this came out. Because it's not an old film. No, it's four years I mean, old. It's, yeah, it's, it's four years old. I think somebody would look at this and say, on the trailer alone, I've seen that. Yeah, I I don't think the trailer does this film justice because even the trailer, it takes these scenes and tries to cut some of the comedy with some of the in the trailer. You get this whole um, them driving a car and it cuts to the is it Misty Mountains, her car coming through the house. Oh, yeah. And then it overlays a Ryan Gosling like sound clip on top of it to make you think that he's in that car. Oh, yeah. So I think the trailer doesn't really do this justice in terms of what this film is. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm no expert. Like like I said, I, I don't know how I would cut this trailer, but to me, it's one of those where if, if you're a moviegoer and granted, if all the things you listed in May of 2016, there were only two films that I would be interested in and, and it would be, you know, um, Captain America in this one. Yeah. Um, so I, I was there to see it opening weekend, but I think, but that's because of my love for Shane Black. But I think anybody else who doesn't understand Shane Black doesn't know that this was the guy that did Lethal Weapon, Long Kiss Goodnight, you know, all those other films, Iron Man 3 even. Um, I think an average moviegoer would look at this and go, well, I watch this on Netflix. I watch this kind of movie on Netflix all the time. Why would I go pay, you know, 15 bucks a ticket to go see yeah. it in the theater? Yeah, I just, I don't know, it's disappointing because I would love to see a continuation of this because this could work. I mean... Now you've got the setup of the characters getting to know each other out the way, and now they can just kind of go on and, you know, with their agency, the nice guys, and do another, like, crime story. And I think it would be perfect. So I'm just disappointed that it didn't do great. And I just, I don't know. You look at these films that two A-list guys, like, on the poster. You know, you have Crow, Gosling, you know, Shane Black, May 20th. And you're like, man, this should do really well. And then you're like, no, it does not. So I, I you know, you know, you know, I, I don't know. It's just sad to see stuff like this not do great. Like Neighbors, Neighbors 2 is fine. Like it's a fine movie. It's. Yeah, but nobody, nobody knows Shane Black. I mean, I don't think Shane Black has credentials like Tarantino or, oh, no, or somebody no. as a filmmaker. No. Right. Yeah. So you can't you can't put out there and say a Shane Black film. and Everybody's going to be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I have to go see that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think I think your action nerds like us would go <laughs> do it. 
Um, and, and like I said, as much as I would sit there and ask that question like, hey, is Shane Black a one-trick pony? I, I don't think he is because when you look at even the through line between Lethal Weapon up to this one, there's enough change and there's enough um, challenge within the script and the storytelling that you can see Shane Black evolving as a filmmaker. But I'm really curious. Like when I saw The Predator, that didn't, that didn't feel like true Shane Black to me. No. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, was that just a misstep to a certain degree? Because I'm really hoping, like, and like I said, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to discredit The Predator, but for, it's a big studio film. It's based on a franchise. He's not going to be able to make creative choices that he would for the nice guys or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or something of that nature, or even Iron Man 3. And even if you go back and watch the um, special features of The Predator and see all the different endings that they shot, I mean, obviously the studio intervened on that one. Yeah. And, and, but give Shane Black, get Shane Black a script that he's creating. What is he going to bring to the table? I, I think it's going to be fantastic. I really do. Do you think, and, 50, and, no, I'm sorry, do you think $50 million for this movie is crazy? No, I don't think. I mean, I don't think it, so either. Yeah, I mean, it's a period. I, <laughs> it's a period piece. You have two A-list guys, so they probably made, you know, ten million dollars a piece. You know, you're thinking, you know, probably forty percent of your budget is your two leads. Yeah, I, I'll say this, and this is how much of a nerd idiot I am. The thing I loved about it was, as you're watching the film, they have all these billboards in the background of films that came out in 77. Yeah. So towards the beginning, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the billboard for Smoking the Bandit. As they're driving around, I'm like, oh, that's Airport 77. And then I see the Jaws 2 billboard. I'm like, hold on a second. Uh, yeah. Jaws, Jaws 2 is like 78 of summer. Yeah. Would they have a billboard out? Like that, maybe they would, but I don't know. Cause didn't they like make Jaws 2 really quickly? Wasn't that right? At... Wait, hold yeah, on. but I think this was like 1977, yeah. and then it ends around Christmas, so they're yeah. going into 70. Well, it's got to be around Christmas, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, Shane Black. So, so that, that was the only thing that took me out. I'm yeah. like, really, Jaws 2? But it wouldn't take out the normal viewer who yeah, isn't, I know. you know, <laughs> OCD. <laughs> Come on, get your facts straight. No, and like I said, I, I, I'm with Alex. Um I'm I'm probably one of the few that thought the other guys was a little bland. Um, and when somebody recommends the other guys, I'm like, oh, do you mean that, you know, Ryan Gosling? <laughs> <laughs> Russell? <laughs> I'm in the other camp. Yeah, I think I think the other guys is actually pretty funny, um, though. I will I will tell people to see this way before the other guys, just because I think it's a better film, obviously. Um, start to finish. It's uh, yeah, actually, maybe even the the comedy might be just better, you know, like it's oh, not that so much better than it's this not that like guys. easy joke. You know, sometimes the easy joke makes people laugh, but it's just because they feel like they have to laugh. Uh, this stuff's better. It's, no, but I, so the other guys is Will. <laughs> if you want to talk about the level of banter that goes on to the other guys, it's Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, just yelling at each other. Yeah. And, and Hey, guess what? Will Ferrell's got a hot wife and, Mark Wahlberg can't understand why, and Will Ferrell doesn't think she's very pretty. So, there you go. yeah, it's it's not it's it's not a great film. I'm, I don't I'm know. Sorry. Michael Keaton's it's, pretty funny in that movie. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> it's not Will Ferrell no. and Mark Wahlberg who should be the funniest thing out of it. Yeah, I get it. I get whereas it. Whereas in whereas in the Nice Guys, everybody is funny in this thing. Yeah. Now I will bring up my one little pet peeve with this movie. That precocious kid. 
she's like uh what was inspector gadget's uh daughter penny you know secretly like solving all the crimes so um, you didn't you didn't like her she's all right angry I, rice holly march yeah she's all right um, I love I love the whole interchange when they're at the um, was it the skate rink or bowling alley or something? And yeah, she's asking you know um, Jackson about you beat up people for a living. Well, how much would you charge if you know, <laughs> and Russell Crowe's ready to answer her? I yeah. mean, I I actually uh, thought she was really she's I don't know she's the heart of the film. She's she's the reason why those characters want to go through redemption. And I buy that. Yeah. I don't think she's um, annoying. Like, I, I can see in some of the other Shane Black films, you get that precocious kid or, or whatnot. The, the, and you go, even even the kid in Predator, I'm like, eh, I, no. Um, but I, I think her performance is fantastic in this. I, I really love the three of them and how they interact together. Yeah. I, I thought she she brings the opportunity for him to be a horrible father, which is funny. And I think she brings the opportunity um, for the Jackson Healy character to go through redemption, and and he buys into it. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see the the through line with uh, you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Amelia's character? She plays she's Pussycat in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you know. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so I'm good. I'm good. That's I didn't all catch I need. That. There yeah. you go. No, so um, I guess are are we ready for the final question then? Yes, I am. I am. Okay. So, Brad, this was your pick. Um, we we talked thoroughly about <laughs> film noir, and I, I think we both agree that you can you can put this on a list because it hits all the bullet points from a scripting perspective of neo noir. But I I think in order to be true neo noir, you have to adopt the mood. Yeah. Because um, a, a good example is uh, at the end of this film, you know, spoiler alert. The automotive dealers get away with it, yeah. right? And they make comment of that where, you know, Jackson is at a bar. He's getting drunk. He's like, we went through all of this, and they're getting off scot-free. And, um, you know, Holland comes up and says, well, here's my ad. And apparently that ad is a recreation of the Rockford Files ad. Okay. Um, just with their information on it. Yeah. And um, I actually think it has a pretty happy ending because you got these two people coming together, um, you know, with his daughter in tow. And, and you've got a dysfunctional family, but a family nonetheless that, to your point, where's the sequel? Like, I'm ready yeah, yeah. for the next chapter. Yeah. But it, it doesn't end on a on a downbeat. It In tone or mood, it doesn't hit film noir levels. I mean... So I don't, I don't, I don't think this is neo-noir at all. Usually, usually noir film is, like, kind of void of a lot of humor. Like, that's another thing. Like, it's, it it's is. pretty humorous. The daughter humorous. would be dead. Yeah. One of them would be, you know, fired. Or, yeah. And then not only did they get away with it, but, you know, something horrible. The bomb goes off. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, um, But, so, yeah, so, speaking of bombs, is, is this a bomb? It is not. I think, um, buddy cop-wise, this is up there, like, one of my favorites. It might be... <sighs> Lethal Weapon 2 is really good, but, man... This movie's fantastic, and and this is the first time we've started doing this. This is episode eleven that I've watched the film twice, um, wow. and it was easy, it was easy to do that because um, I just think I liked seeing Crow and Gosling together, just interact and have fun, and you could tell like it was just I, I don't know it was funny, and I kind of just needed that now like a funny movie that's not. Hey, we're a comedy, and 
I'm going to show you my dick because that's funny. You know, like stuff, you know, <laughs> stuff like humor that's like, yeah, you earn it. You know, you earn it. Well, so, you like you like the characters um, yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Now I'm with you 100. It's not, it's not a bomb. Um, Alex is so right. Everybody should be watching this film. Um, I, I didn't I see would, this in the theater, and I'm kind of disappointed in myself for not. So. Yeah, I, I remember going to the theater, and not a lot of people were there. So. Yeah. Um, I, I would love for you know another sequel right now i'm kind of sequeled out but there are a couple that come along where i'm like yeah i would have liked to see what these two actors and shane black had done um and you know again i'm i'm a huge shane black fan i love all of his work and even the predator i I would be a shane black apologist for yeah but i don't i don't feel like it's his movie as much as the studio and when i watch the night guys i'm just like give shane black a hundred million dollars and just let him go yeah. Like, let him make whatever he wants <laughs> with whatever story he wants. Um, because if you... I, I really do think very few writers, directors, that kind of talent would have this type of filmography. And, and I would argue anybody, um, any day, who would come back and say Shane Black is a one-trick pony. I would say there are elements of it there. But if you look at the growth of what he does with his characters um, and how he just puts a spin every time he revisits those tropes. I think he's a, he's, you know, a fantastic writer director and I want to see him grow from that. I'm excited yeah. about his next projects. I, I just hope they don't like, I don't want to see him in a, in a big franchise thing. Yeah. So one of my kind of favorite movies growing up when you said, you know, one trick pony, it, this kind of kind of sparked this idea um, was Kevin Smith. Like clerks was like one of my favorite movies of all time. Now you think about where Kevin Smith is now. It's literally like Clerks is like the movie he just keeps making over and over, and there really isn't a whole lot of growth. Um, and if you kind of compare that with like Shane Black, you can see that yeah, his films are actually getting better, more complex. Um, I don't know, you know, you kind of look and say, could Shane Black in two thousand five make this movie? And he couldn't. He couldn't make it. No, not um, at all. Um, nope. you know, but you look and say, could Kevin Smith make, you know, Jay and Silent Bomb strike back in 2005 or, or whatever in 92 or whatever? Of course they could, you know, it's like, could, you know, could a director go back and make this film at this period of time in their career? And you hopefully say, no, they can't because they've, you know, they've grown so much. Um, so when you say like one trick pony, that's kind of thrown out the door because Shane Black can't direct this movie 15 years ago. So, no, I agree. And and I, you know, if you were to sit down and watch in order, Lethal Weapon, um, Last Boy Scout, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and The Nice Guys, which have a lot of the same Shane Black um, plot points, twists, uh, protagonist characteristics, etc. I would think if you if you watch them in that order, you would see real growth through like a writer director. Yeah, of course. Um, a hundred percent. And I, and I think with the nice guys, he just, I can't say this enough because I, I would 100% go if I were in the mood for an Abbott and Costello type film, but I didn't want to watch something older. I'd put this thing in because this is the best Abbott and Costello movie ever made. since <laughs> Abbott and Costello. Yeah. So, um, it, it's fantastic. And like I said, I just, I think that's why I was so disappointed with the predator when it came out is because I was coming off of the high of the nice guys um, and, you know, that's the fascinating thing about the film industry is it's art for profit. 
um, if they don't make a profit, they're they're not going to make the next film. Yeah. And it, it's always refreshing to see somebody who can excel or exceed in that environment. Um, and I, I really think Shane Black's one one of the best. Like, I, I would champion him as much as, as some of the other, you know, screenwriters. Everybody just goes nuts over, like Tarantino, et cetera. Uh, and also, one last thing. I think when you set a – when a movie is set, like, in a period piece and you do it well, it's, like, timeless. Like, you can go back oh, in yeah. 10 years right now and it's still going to – this movie's going to be fine because it's set within a specific time period and you're not going to be like, well, where's their cell phone or where's this or where's that? I always kind of like <laughs> when there's a specific time frame because then you can kind of accept a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's a movie reel. It's like, a you know, they're searching for a movie reel in this movie. So now it'd be yeah. like, where's that flash drive or whatever? Yeah. No, it's it's so good. So good. It is good. All right. All right. Well, last week we forgot to do this. So okay. now we have to do two. Oh, the, the ranking, rankings. The ranking of bombs. Do I need to refresh you on what the list says? Um, well, yeah. Be, well, the two that we need to find homes for is uh, episode 10, Streets of Fire, directed by Walter Hill. Yes. And then this week with The Nice Guys, directed by Shane Black. Um, but let's run through the list real quick because this will make um, number 11. 11. And so we're going to try and rank these 11 films. And I'm curious where The Nice Guys is going to fit. Um, based on, to your point, it's one of the few that I think we both, when we're watching something, we usually watch it, go back, maybe do some research on, watch something else from that director, maybe the cast. But yeah. w- like you, I was like, ooh, I want to go back and watch this piece. I end up just watching the whole film. Again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of was like, oh, you know, I kind of want to see their first interaction again. So I'll kind of get to that piece and, you know, maybe I'll stop. And it's like, well, now I want to get to this part. And it's like, well, now I've watched an hour, so I might as well just finish it. So. <laughs> you bring it home. Yeah. Um, um, well, let's start. Let's start with this week. Um, okay. The nice guys, where we would put it. So let let's at least go through the top five because okay. I, I. It's not. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, yeah. it's not going to fall below that. Yeah. Uh, we have Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Warrior, Dread, Attack the Block, Children of Men. Troy, I will bring to you that the nice guys is our number one film that we have watched so far. Over Scott Pilgrim. Over Scott Pilgrim. Huh. Long pause. Long I, dramatic pause. I like Scott Pilgrim a lot, obviously. I think this film is... Well, yeah, you is, picked it. Yeah, and I, I think this film is, jumped a, up and down. is a little bit like easier to watch. Um, it's not... A, I'll give you that. Like, it's I, not as like... Most, most of the people who see the nice guys... They'll either love it like us, or they'll go, "That's really good." Yeah. Scott Pilgrim. It's very by definition. Is, yeah. So I would say, yeah, it'll be it'll take the number one spot. Okay. Nice. Our our, our listener Kevin will be very excited to hear that. <laughs> uh, Alex. Well, no, Kevin uh, uh, was the one who who gave us the benefit of the doubt oh. on Scott Pilgrim, hated it, okay, and said, "Man, I, you know Sorry. the way you guys talked about it, I'm gonna go back and watch it again." He said he watched 15 minutes, had to turn mm. it off, so. Alex will be happy because yeah. he recommended this film. Yeah, now it's our best film it. that we've done so far. Kevin will be happy because Scott Pilgrim isn't number one. <laughs> See, we're making everyone happy. Uh, All right. Yeah, but I agree with you. I, I agree. I mean, I I think uh, I don't. Edgar Wright just nailed it in scripting and visuals and everything for Scott Pilgrim. Um, but I could see myself rewatching the nice guys over Scott first. Pilgrim, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was kind of my thing. All right. Yeah. So, 
finishing out the rest of the film after Children of Men is Remo Williams, The Hunted, Conan's Last Action Hero. Uh, for Streets of Fire, Troy, I will say, I would put it above Remo. I would put this at number after Children of Men before Remo. I, so, I agree. So it's yeah. number. It's our new number seven film. Okay. Boom. I'm good with that. Okay. Streets of Fire. So let's li- let's list them off. We got our official okay episodes in in ranking order of what we think are the best down to the least best. Okay. So number one, the nice guys. Number two, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Number three, Warrior. <laughs> Every time we've we've done was Warrior like three weeks ago. Because every know. time we do an episode, it just keeps moving down. I know. It was so good, too. I mean, like And then you Dread, said, I think, said... was the, the week before that. So Dread, yeah. um, so Dread, Attack the Block, Children of Men, Streets of Fire, Remo Williams, The Hunted, Coneheads, and Last Action Hero. You know what's amazing about that list, and I've, I've thought about this, if, if somebody would come back and just judge us on the movies we talked about, I, I got to say, they've been all over the place. They're extremely eclectic. And I, I would defend every one of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you haven't seen those 11 films, I, I, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. What, there's a lot, there's really no through line, but you know, we're, we're trying to make, we're trying to look at films that people missed and yeah. were underappreciated. Well, and I'll say this. So, um, just like with, um, Scott Pilgrim, when you pick that one, it inspired me to pick Streets of Fire because I was thinking, well, what's another like action musical along that same <laughs> venue. So um, I watched the nice guys and I'm like, Oh man, I, you know, is there, let me go back to the list um, that we originally started with when we were talking about, you know, this podcast. And is there another film noir? I, I was kind of wanting to keep this going a little bit. Um, but there was one movie that popped out and I was like, Oh yeah, detective film. Yeah. Um, and it's in a totally opposite <laughs> Uh, I would say tone and everything else from the nice guys. So Brad, are you ready to hear my pick for next week? I am. So this was on our original list uh, of films that we talked about. And it's one of those that critically everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. And I think even from a box office perspective internationally, it did okay. Um, But in the U S it, it really didn't do anything. Um, It was kind of here and gone. And I think of this person's filmography, a lot of people don't talk about this film. I mean, would you agree with that? Well, you have to tell me what the movie is first. All right. Well, <laughs> I am talking about um, none other than uh, David Fincher's Zodiac. No, oh, 2007, right? Yep. 2007. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably his... That, and I would say Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are his kind of two outlier films that kind of are... Um, I don't know. I think most people with Fincher love everything except for probably Zodiac and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, I think Zodiac is like three and a, or not three and a half hours, two and a half hours long. Um, so you're in it yep. for a while. So, um, yeah, yeah and that's it's a great one of those. Pick. Yeah, I mean, it critically, I think everybody loves it. Um, it had a pretty sizable budget. We'll get into all the numbers and everything when we talk about it, but. It just it really didn't do much over here. And then when you go back and look at the cast that was involved in it. The cast is amazing. It, it's a head scratcher, man. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of those that when we were kind of putting this concept together and talking about films that don't get talked about enough and maybe were considered bombs. 
It was like one of the I, first ones we talked about. It was, and it, it was one of the ones that when the studio pushed out there, I think they were looking, you know, hey, this thing is going to bring home um, a lot of critical, um, you know, praise, maybe some hardware, you know, from the Academy, et cetera. They were expecting, I think, a lot of adults to go out to the movie theaters and go see this, and it, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. And um, it, it squeaked out a number just barely over its budget, according to some numbers. Other numbers, it, it didn't even do that. But um, I thought it would be really interesting to talk about because it is a intense um, psychological thriller about, you know, the Zodiac Killer. Um, and what's funny is... We finally get to talk about David Fincher, which I will do until the cows come home. Yes, and we're going to be watching the 162-minute, or at least I will be watching the 162-minute cut, which is the director's cut. Okay. Um, I think that's easily available on a lot of different streaming services. Um, and as a bonus, uh, I, I had brought this up just talking with uh, the family. And my daughter, who one of her favorite shows is uh, Mindhunter. So we just blew through that. God, your daughter's great. Yeah, so um, when we were talking about it, I'm like, well, yeah, the, the guy who was involved with that TV show actually made this film. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, don't don't you know about the Zodiac Killer? She's like, no. And uh, my daughter um, is, is really interested in going into psychology, uh, into college, and um, she is fascinated by, now, not psychology to be, you know, a serial killer profile or anything. She actually wants to be a social worker. <laughs> Um, but she's going to be living at home for the rest of your life. Yes. But she, she loves, um, thrillers. Like, uh, we'll, we'll get into it when we have her on the next episode, because that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and we can see what 18 years of parenting (laughs) in this household, uh, can produce. But to tell her not to curse like a sailor. Yeah. Well, (laughs) she gets that from her mom. Um, but no, it'll be interesting. I, I thought it would be a good pick. And just um, from, you know, pure chance, my daughter was looking at uh, really this Blu-ray that I was kind of going through and going, well, what's that film? It looks interesting. Uh, and yeah. then when I... <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to have Angelic on next week to, to help us out with Zodiac. And That's awesome. And if everybody's playing along, please watch it. Um, Brad, if they want to give us some more recommendations like Alex did... Which, big, big thank you, Alex, for recommending yeah. um, The Nice Guys. Thank you for reminding me how great this movie was. Um, yeah, it made our number one. So yeah. if, uh, if any of you have something that can dethrone Alex, how would they get it to us? Uh, that would be at Twitter. It is at notabombpod, um, gmail, notabombpod at gmail.com. Our website is notabombpodcast.com. Uh, um, what else, Troy? Hmm. I don't know. It's uh, keep sharing, keep sharing our yeah. podcasts around. Um, I know a lot of times uh, when we put out episodes and stuff, a lot of our friends are retweeting it and you know, kind of helping it grow uh, organically. Um, again, Troy and I talk behind the scenes about how it's way bigger than we ever thought it would be. Um, it's more than five. So yeah, I'm happy. yeah. So yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and and as Brad says, we are excited when people um, I I've met a couple of new people from just listening, uh, which is always awesome. I mean, uh, and, and I would say this too, I think Brad and I are, are very versed in, in all types of movies. Um, but if there is something that you think should be on our radar that we haven't mentioned, be it a director, 
uh, cast star, something of that nature. We, we've got a pretty comprehensive list, but I got to tell you, I've had a lot of fun with people making recommendations for stuff for us to watch yeah. and even trying to tie it to conversations we've already had, which is, um, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, the whole idea of this is, you know, we, we at some point want to hear your thoughts on our thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I echo everything you just said. Awesome. Well, anything else, man? Um, so next week we will also kind of announce what we're doing for September because I can't wait for that. So, yes. um, actually, sent, actually... You an, sent you an article today that was weirdly <laughs> Everybody's like, got our wait, idea. Wait, okay. So, and, we, um, and, and big thanks to um, our buddy John, who's been on a couple episodes. He uh, heard about our idea. He is coming back in September, um, but he's actually already started a bunch of research on it. So yeah. um, he's he dove right into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's coming next week. So we'll we'll let you know what that is um, then. And then in October, it'll be all spooky stuff. Um, and then we're already kind of curating some stuff for uh, November, which I kind of threw out an idea with Troy today. So you know we got things moving. Um, you know, this is number 11, so we've been doing this for 11 straight weeks, and we're glad that people are enjoying it and listening and passing it along. So, yeah, yeah that's all I got. Thank you, guys. We're, we're very appreciative for uh, everything that you do in, just in terms of listening and especially all the correspondence and feedback you give us. We, we love it. So Exactly. All right. All right, well, Troy. With that, yeah. Um, whatever time you're listening to, I hope you're having an awesome day didn't watch the nice guys please go and watch it and tell everybody about it that movie's amazing yes <laughs> sorry i was like <laughs> Just, of yes. course <laughs> yes yes watch the night guys all right have a good night folks or morning wherever you're listening and um join us next week for david adventures zodiac